Welcome to the Connected Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Dawson. I'm a working medium, spiritualist minister, certified spiritual life coach, and mentor. My goal is to help support today's modern mediums and spiritual seekers in making strong connections with their own spirit and spirit helpers. I will share all I know about mediumship development and spirituality. I invite you to join me on this journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Connected Spirit Podcast. My next guest is known as the Intuitive Physician. She's an MMD, author, medical intuitive, evidential psychic medium, ancestral healer, and an international keynote speaker. And she is also a speaker and teacher at the Shift Network. I am so pleased to welcome Dr. Lottie Valentin to the show. So nice to have you here, Lottie. Uh, thank you so much. I'm I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) You have a really interesting story of how you got into, I'm going to say, the spiritual field. And so something that really stands out from your story is those two near-death out-of-body experiences. What if you can share with my listeners those experiences and the impact they had on you and where they've led you to where you are now? Yes. Um, so I had two near-death experiences. The first one was in 1992. And then the second one was in 1994, two years later. And the first one happened um, after the birth of my third child. And it was kind of a um, dramatic birth <laughs> in itself because um, as I was in labor, um, we had a 7.4 earthquake. And this was in California. Wow. And so the whole hospital shook um it was built on rollers. So it was one of the moments in my life when I thought I was going to die. And that is very different from actually having a near-death experience because during that, I knew that I was dying. But so the birth itself was traumatic. So my labor actually stopped and uh, we lost the power in the hospital. And you know how they had those metal trays in the hospital rooms with all different instruments on them. All those metal instruments were just levitating up and down on the trays and you know, I was shaking. Wow. And they were holding on to me. I was on the birthing table, contracting three minutes apart. And my husband, the the midwives, the nurses, everybody was just leaning over, making sure I wasn't going to be levitated off the table, but also holding on because there was no way you could stand up without holding on to something because you'd fall down because it was shaking that much. So we go through the earthquake, my labor stops. And then half an hour later, my labor kicks back on. And I give birth to my daughter. And then right there, right after her birth, I hemorrhaged for the first time. And then they, I stayed an extra day in the hospital. They gave me Pitocin drip. And they said, well, everything seems to be, you know, contracting back down. And they sent me on my way. And then 10 days later, I hemorrhaged a huge blood clot, like larger than a man's fist. So it was wow the size of a, of a newborn baby's head. It was that big. So we went back to the ER and they kept me for observation for two hours. And they said they did a manual inspection. They said, well, not much is coming out now. And it could just have been a second lining. And this was 1992. There was no ultrasound. There was no lab work, checking for infection, nothing. And they just sent me home. Now, granted, 
it looked really healthy, but you know, that's just, it's called gaslighting people. You know, the doctor looks at you and says, Oh, you're 34 years old and you look very healthy and tan. You live in California and it's June. Right. So we are in shorts and t-shirts every day. So they sent me home. Then the next day I hemorrhaged again. We called the hospital. They said, and I'm yelling to my husband because this is late at night, like 9.30 at night. The kids were already asleep. I had a six-year-old, a three-and-a-half-year-old, and a newborn baby. And I said, I'm not going. It stopped. So then they decided I should see the doctor the next morning in Huntington Beach. I went to the doctor. Same thing. Manual inspection, no lab work, nothing. Set on my way. Could have been a second lining coming up. Friday comes and I hemorrhage again. And we said, okay, I got to go back to the ER. So we went back to the ER again. Luckily we did. I'd probably be dead. (laughs) So I go back to the ER. They do the manual inspection again and nothing is coming out. They leave me there. They close the door. I have no bell to ring. And then finally I start bleeding again. So at this point, I'm just thinking, wow, I'm so happy I started bleeding again because now finally I'm bleeding in the ER. They're going to figure out something is wrong, right? Yeah. So I'm just lying there not thinking much about it because this is the third day and nobody seems to be you know, too um, worried about what's going on. So all of a sudden, this nurse opens the door and to check on me. I think the spirit world sent her because that's the only reason I'm alive. <laughs> so at that moment, she opens the door, her jaw drops like, <gasps> like, you know, she looks at all the blood that's on the paper. I'm lying on this table and I hear the call in the loudspeaker, OBGYN stack to the ER, OBGYN stack to the ER. And I'm just thinking, great. They finally figured out something is wrong. And this middle-aged uh, physician comes like literally running into the ER with a younger physician, probably a resident physician in tow. Again, a manual inspection. <laughs> and as they're doing this you know, inspection again, going, okay, let's see what's going on. Another huge blood clot comes out. And at that point, I try to sit up and tell the doctor, I'm not feeling too good. And he just like pushed me down on the table and they started tipping it. My head went down towards the floor. My feet went up in the air and the room filled with people. Now at this point, my eyes are already closed because I can't keep my eyes open anymore. And I have a nurse on my right quoting my blood pressure. And I have a nurse on my left trying to place an IV. And I'm lying on this table thinking, what's taking them so long? Why can't she get that IV in? But now that I've gone through medical school, I realized that when you go into shock, your veins collapse. And mm. so today, when you go to the ER, many times they just give you, you know, saline solution, like body water, right? And people say, why, you know, why are you giving me an IV? I don't need an IV. Well, it's a precaution because if something goes wrong with you and you start passing out or going into shock, mm. they now have access to your veins and they can just inject medication. So okay. this is a, something that's precautionary. But back then, I guess they didn't do that. This is 1992. So she's having a really hard time getting that IV in. And the nurse on my left is quoting my blood pressure as it's falling. And I feel like I jumped out of an airplane and just without a parachute, just free fall towards the ground. And um, at one point, this nurse that quotes my blood pressure yells out, 50 over 15, hurry. So now my, my blood pressure is below supporting a heartbeat. Yeah. So, and at, it was shortly after that, that I knew that I was dying, which is very different from that experience during birth, 
when my life flashed before my eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, I never thought I was going to die this way in an earthquake, right? And you, a lot of people have been in that situation, in car accidents and things like that. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. Mm-hmm. But this was a knowing. I knew that I was dying. So here I am lying on this table. I have no beliefs in afterlife. I have no beliefs in angels and the spirit world, eternal life. I have no beliefs in God, Jesus, relig- any religions, archangels, you name it. I have like no beliefs at all. I think you die, it's black, you're gone. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> so here I am on this table. And what do I do? I pray to God to save my life because I had nothing left. And I said, please let me live. I have three children under the age of six and they need a mother. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly after that, that my body my, or my soul just got pulled out of my body. And so then I just find myself floating above my body. But the first thing that occurred to me was that was the thought. And I said, how can I still be me and be outside my body? This is not supposed to happen, right? Because I had no beliefs about this. So here I find myself outside my body and I know I belong to the body down below. And I know I'm attached to it. And people have asked me, did you see a silver cord? I did not see a silver cord. People have asked me, do you know how you entered and exited the body? I have no idea because they it goes so fast you're all, you're inside the body and then all of a sudden you're not. And there is no transition or like kind of like knowing. It's just one second you're inside, the next second you're not. So it just happens so quickly. But what I knew about being in this outside my body was that, well, everything, everything is peaceful. There's unconditional love and there was no time. And that was the biggest lesson in that first near-death experience. There is no time on the other side. And I knew I could access past, present, and future because time was just something that I experienced when I was inside my body, living my earthly life. And so being outside, there was no time. Time wasn't important at all. And then with that, I got pulled back into my body. And then I stayed, you know, in the hospital another day. And um, so then the next morning, this nurse comes and Apparently, you know, she was very familiar with people leaving their body or having near-death experience. She was probably well-versed in this, or maybe she already knew that life is eternal. And she asked me, they sent me a Norwegian nurse because they figured I would bond better with her. Okay. Because <laughs> I was Swedish and I was 34. Um, anyway, so this Norwegian nurse, she asked me, did you, you know, did anything unusual happen yesterday? And I am petrified of saying anything because I'm thinking, if I tell them what I experienced, they're going to lock me up in the mental ward. Yeah. So I just said, no, no, nothing, nothing happened. Nothing at all. You know, just completely. (laughs) And then that morning, also, as I'm lying in this hospital bed, I become aware of my sister-in-law. And my sister-in-law is in the left corner in my hospital room. And she had passed away 10 days earlier and from lung cancer. And she, I can hear her and she says, everything's going to be okay. And so now I'm thinking, I am definitely going crazy. Yesterday, I had some experience where I left my body. And now I think I can hear my sister-in-law, right? <laughs> so I'm just really struggling with the whole concept because I had no beliefs in any, you know, a spirit life or eternal life. So with that, you know, two days later, I get sent home and then it, I'm, I'm really sick. It takes me forever to heal. Uh, so sh- this happened in June, end of June. And by like a week before Christmas, 
was the first time I went to the grocery store six months later and um, to bring my three kids. And we went to the, to the grocery store to get milk and ice cream because I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. (laughs) And I had spent, you know, the last three months walking one house to the left, walking one house to the right. I'm exhausted. Got to go inside and sit down. And so what was going on that I didn't know was that I was having a bone marrow issue and making blood. And this is something that can happen. Uh, it's called idiopathic aplastic anemia, but it's the bone marrow that sort of shuts down. But this can happen to somebody who um, is pregnant or has been pregnant. And uh, it's not, you know, it's not very common, but I had been pregnant and I almost died. So mm-hmm. of course, and I had no blood in my system because it was 1992 and I was pleading with a doctor not to give me a blood transfusion because back then we had no way of checking for AIDS. Yeah. And a lot of people that were getting blood transfusions back then ended up with AIDS six years later. Mm-hmm. So I said, I have, I have three kids under the age of six. I don't want to wake up six years from now and find out I have AIDS. So if you don't have to give me blood, don't. But you know, if, if you have no other choice, then of course I'll take the blood. And he said, you are, you know, you're young and healthy and you're making blood quickly because they followed that as when I was in the hospital. And he said, you're not going to feel too good for a couple of months, but we're going to give you supplements and all this medication. And, um, you know, just, it's just going to take a little bit of time. So I pretty much slept those first three months. I think I, my first memories really are September. Um, mm-hmm. and my parents were there, they changed their tickets back to Sweden twice. And then my mother-in-law came. So he was just this constant flow of people that were there helping, taking care of the kids. So then um, at Christmas time, we all got sick with pneumonia and uh, we had no medical insurance at the time because my husband had taken a new job and we were on the three month wait period and Cobra cost too much. We couldn't afford it because we're in our young thirties and a family of of five, right? Three children. So I said, no, 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 it's okay. I'm I'm not going to go to the doctor. I I had lost faith in, in doctors because I had been sent away from the ER, had been sent away from the doctor. And it mm-hmm. took me almost losing my life for them to actually intervene and do something. So I had also lost faith in our Western medical system and I didn't trust the doctor. So there was an issue with that as well. Mm-hmm. But we all got pneumonia and everybody, we all got antibiotics. Me and my husband, my, our two boys, the baby was fine. And we were you know, eight days into these antibiotics. Everybody's gotten well, except for me, I was worse. <laughs> so I went back and this is um, like December, January. So six months after um, the birth. And the doctor said, why are you back here? We, you know, and why are you so much worse? And they took a blood sample and they came back in the room and they said, do you have leukemia or AIDS? Because you have no immune system. You have not, no white blood cells. So I told them what had happened and um, they gave me more antibiotics. They said, you have to go to the hospital. This is a life-threatening condition. And I said, I can't, I don't have insurance. And if I go now, I, I will never get that insurance. And they said, well, I should still go to the ER, but then I didn't. So then they called me the next day and I said, well, I, the antibiotics seems to be working because I'm feeling a little bit better. And I managed to heal. But then three months after that, I started having bruises. And I would have this huge bruise that spanned my entire hip area that I got from just bumping into the baby's changing table, something yeah. that would give you a bruise of a dime or a nickel, but it spanned my entire you know, hip area. It was large, like larger than your hand. And I got pneumonia again. Now it's May. And the doctor said, oh, you know, there's something terribly wrong with you. And you got these bruises. And, and I said, well, I, I realized that, but I've survived for 11 months now. My 
you know, this event happened last summer. And even though this looks bad, I get it. My father is a physician. I've heard all the stories. I understand that it's a blood disorder of some sort, mm -hmm. but we are getting insurance July 1st because my husband had jumped from job to job. So he had like, there was, it was his third job that year because he had been like a regional manager and, you know, he was supporting the whole family. So he just had to take the first job that came because yeah. that company he had worked for got bought and everybody got laid off from top to bottom. So he had no other choice but to just take whatever came, became available. So anyway, so now we we did get insurance that July 1st. So, But I couldn't, of course, go and do the lab work because obviously something was going to be wrong. And about six months later, the bruises were, you know, smaller, um, you know, maybe the size of like a silver dollar or a quarter to a silver dollar. And they were not purple anymore. They were more bluish and mm -hmm. So things were going in the right direction and I did have the ability, you know, more strength, even though I was still really weak <laughs> looking back. But anyway, so I, this is what's happening to you know me and I'm really sick. Um, so I can't really go through the grocery. I can't walk through a store without passing out. I would have to sit down on a shelf in the store, put my head down between my legs. I would have people come up to me in the grocery store and said, you look really pale. Are you going to pass out? And I would say, no, no, not yet. I got like a minute, to, you know, before I have to sit down because I was just so used to that existence. But I also knew that I was getting better, but it was just such a snail pace because I would say, well, I'm better than I was last month. So as long as it wasn't going backwards, you know, as long as it was going forward, I was like, I'm not going to have Western medicine intervene because obviously this is some form of blood disorder. It's going to require either chemotherapy or other medications that I'm going to end up with all these side effects. And as long as I'm going in the right direction, if it starts sliding backwards, then I don't have a choice. Yeah. So it was just a slow and steady <laughs> progression forward. So two years out, I'm still getting bruises. If I put my knee on the floor to tie my children's shoes, I would get a bruise on my knee. So I learned to squat and not put my knees on the floor. I was very careful because I would get a bruise just like unloading the dishwasher, pinching two plates between my fingers. My fingers wow. would turn blue. Um, I couldn't stand up uh, long enough to cook for my children. So if I was making pancakes or something, I had a stool in the kitchen and I sat on the stool so that I could, you know, sit there and flip the pancakes. Um, that was just my existence. And I always had this feeling and it would happen several times a day where I felt like my soul was just going to slip out. And so I was always, no, 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 we're holding on to that soul. We're not leaving. You know, we, we, got, we got to stay here. The kids need a mom and, you know, just kind of, just holding on to it as if there was two parts to me. If you mm -hmm. ask me today, I'm just the same person I came in as a child. I'm, I'm, I'm all one. There is no yeah. separation of my soul. I can't feel my soul is separate. But then back then I could. And it was like my soul was always separating. And it's like um, when you lay a, a, a puzzle and one piece is sticking up at the end and you yeah. pat it down so that it becomes smooth with the surface of the rest of the puzzle. That was like my soul. So my body was the, the puzzle. And then that one puzzle piece is my soul and it's sticking up. And that was the feeling that it was always kind of jumping out of my body. So my second NDE happens in the middle of the night and I would often wake up uh, you know, my head is pounding because I had so little blood in my body. So I had a suppression of white blood cells, red blood cells, and platelets. So all white, all blood cells were suppressed. And I would wake up in the middle of the night. My head is pounding. I take my head off the pillow, pull my legs up, get more blood flow in my head. It was just my existence, you know, at that time. 
So this one night, the same thing happens. I, you know, I put to take my head off the pillow. My soul feels like it's leaving. I'm like, we're not leaving because, you know, stay here. And then I just get pulled out just like I did in the ER. So one second I'm inside, the next second I'm outside. But the second experience is very different from the first one. And I always joke that, well, I didn't get the full message the first time because they saved me too quickly. So they had to do it again. So the spirit world's like, okay, we're going to keep her sick and then we're going to have a second experience. So she gets her you know, life path in order here. So during the second experience, I'm just tumbling through darkness and I end up what I call a mid station because, or a bouncing station because they sent me back. And I get to this place, but I'm aware that there are levels above me, but there's also levels below me. So if you go into um, a tall building, a skyscraper, and, and there are 100 floors, and you push the button on the 50th floor, and you step out on the 50th floor, you know that there are floors above you, and you know that there are floors yeah. below you. So it's that kind of a, a sensation that there's more levels, but this is where I find myself. Mm-hmm. And as I get there, I hear this most beautiful music. And you can't make this music on the earth plane. And I've heard other people, I've just recently met some people that talk about the same music that you cannot make on the earth plane. So apparently there are other people out there that have heard this very similar music. I've heard that too. Yeah. And it's, um, it sounds like a, like an angel choir, you know, it's just, but it's, it's, it's more beautiful. We can't quite make that with our voices or any instrument on earth. And so I look around and I'm thinking, you know, wondering where is this beautiful music coming from? And I look to my right and I see a log cabin and it's literally a log cabin floating in space. Like you just go up into the clouds and there is this log cabin. So I open the door and look inside, but it's empty. So I was like, wow, it's not, nothing is there. So I look to my left and there is another log cabin, a mirror image of the one to the right. I open the door, I look inside, but it's empty. And then I become aware of this growing white light that is just, it's like you're standing in a spotlight and it's just growing behind me. And as I turn around, it is, um, it's almost like fog. You know, if you're standing in thick fog and you're, you're completely surrounded by the fog because it's thick fog, but it's just this very bright white light instead. But being in that bright white light, there is a knowing that you are with source. You are with, and I don't care what you call it, if you call it God or if you want to call it something else, I call it the divine source. And that divine source is what we come from. We are part of that divine source. Absolutely. And we carry that light, that divine source within us. And we return to that divine source when we leave our earthly life on the earth, right? And then I become aware of, so in this light, there is an outline of angels, you know, and I can see it's like big wings and big robes, but no faces or facial features or anything like that. Just an outline of angels. And the music is coming from the angels. And I'm still, I am completely aware that who I am, where I, where I am, and I'm looking, you know, I'm seeing these angels, but I don't believe in angels. And this is, you know, what's occurring to me. I don't believe in angels, but I'm seeing angels and the music is coming from the angels. So I'm, I have the complete 
you know, awareness. I'm still exactly me, the way I exist on the earth, but I am in soul form. And I still have this ability to think and communicate. And then I become aware of two spirit guides and the one on the right says to the other one that's uh, diagonally to the left in front of me, he says, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I say, no, 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 wait a second. How can I be outside my body and still be me? And then the spirit guide on my left says, well, if I told you, you wouldn't remember, but you will remember this. So, and I've heard other people talk about that too. Like they forgot to wipe, we forgot to wipe her. I've heard that expression, like, you know, so that the person remembers. So there is some kind of a mechanism um, that they have the ability to control what we get to remember. So uh, we should, we should had a scientific explanation for all of this, <laughs> but all I can tell you is my experience. So he says, but you will remember this. And then it's the images just appear, but it is as if I'm standing on the moon looking down on earth, but around the earth is a silvery, glittery, what I call the fishnet, because this is 1994. We did not have the internet back then. So you couldn't Google a grid around the earth. But now you can, so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. To me, it looked like a fishnet because I had grown up in in Scandinavia in Northern Europe, and I would row the boat for my grandmother as she laid fishnets in the Atlantic Ocean, and we would catch fish for the family to eat. And when she lifted these fishnets out of the ocean in the early morning sun, and I'm just like a little seven-year-old, and you know the the water droplets on the fishnet would sort of shimmer and glitter in the sunlight, mm-hmm. and so. Me seeing this grid around the earth in 1994 reminded me of that wet fishnet, like silvery, glittery, sparkly fishnet in the morning sun. And the the spirit guide said, um, everything on earth is connected to each other, but everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that knowledge, I got sent back (laughs) to my body on earth and It is really interesting because my whole life since then revolves around the interconnectedness and how we are all interconnected as a human species. We resonate and entrain with each other through our heart because we have electrical beats, right? We, We do the EKG on the heart, but that is also what we resonate and entrain with each other. But not only do we resonate and entrain with other forms that have a heart because we resonate and entrain even with with, um, vegetation that does not have a heart. So, you know, the trees talk to each other, the mushrooms talk to each other, you know, the plants talk to each other, the animals talk to each other. We are all interconnected with everything that is on earth and we are part of the earth, right? We are not living on top of the earth. We are part of the earth. Yes. So if you look at, the earth, if you look at your body, you have all these organs and blood cells inside. Well, we're just that organ or a blood cell for the planet itself. And we are therefore all connected, just like your blood cells and your bloodstream are talking to each other and your liver and your heart and your brain are all communicating with each other. We as human, the human species are all communicating with each other. And, and we are all communicating with the animals and the plants. So that interconnectedness has led me to all the work that I do today, you know, working as a physician and working as a healer, ancestral healer, medical medium, it all, it ties all of that together. So, so then what happened? So how did that then all get into mediumship? 
So yeah. it started with that first day after my first near-death experience and how I, uh, you know, heard my sister-in-law. And then between my two near-death experiences, a year after the first one, my uncle came to me in the middle of the night um, and he, my family was all in Sweden and we were living in New York at the time. And he came to say that he had passed to the other side. He had lung cancer, but he had had lung cancer for years. And I had no idea if he had, you know, three years or five years left to live. So I had no knowledge or no expectations of him passing. And he came to me in the middle of the night. It was like two or three in the morning. And he said, you know, I'm just checking in on you. I just want to let you know that I have passed to the other side and, you know, wished as well. And then the next day I was hoping and my mom was going to call me from Sweden because it was her brother, but there was no phone call. And I said, wow, that's so strange. And, you know, this wow. is just a year out and I'm just have, starting to have these experiences. And another day went by, there was no phone call. And then finally the third day, my mom calls and she does a little small chat, checking in on everybody. And then she said, well, I have something sad to share. And I said, yes, I know your brother passed away, you know, two days ago. And he was just dead silence on the other, on the other end. Wow. And she said, how did you know? And I said, he was here. So, and that's how it's, that's how it started, you know? And I also had a lot of electrical uh, issues, which is very common for people who have had a near-death experience. Your, my, all my watches would stop. The VCRs would stop. Televisions would turn on. Vacuum cleaner would turn on. And it was just, and I think it has, you know, something to do with the, the polarities because we are, uh, you know, electrical, so to speak. And there's some, when you come back in like that, something gets not um, turned on, turned back on correctly. And okay. so you're having interference. That's kind of my guess, but I don't know what the current research says, but they're, they've been researching this for a long time. Um, but anyways, that's a common uh, after effect of people who have near-death experiences. So it has, so those near-death experiences... And if anybody's familiar with um, uh, Gabor Mate, who has written several books, is a big author, works a lot on trauma. And he always says, you know, it's not, it's not what happens to you. It was, it's what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you, yeah. you know, when you talk about trauma. And it's the same thing with a near-death experience. You know, it's not what happens to you, but it's what happens inside of you as a result of that experience, because you become a very different person. And so many people, the divorce rate within the first seven years of people who have had a near-death experience is like 80 or 90%. Really? Because, yeah. They've done a lot of research on this because you change so much that sometimes the person who, you know, is married to the person who had an NDE. The, you know, the person is so different. It's not, you're not the same person anymore. This is not the person I married. And so it ends in divorce. Wow. That yeah, is, that is, right. that's, that's yeah, stunning. It's, wow. Yeah. It's fascinating. It is quite fascinating because there is such a major shift that is taking place. Yeah. So for me, that major shift was all of a sudden I knew life was eternal. Yeah. And, you know, and I started hearing the spirit world and they would show me things that were going to happen before they happened. And they would tell me this person is sick or this person's going to die and watch out for this accident. And, you know, I was just constant for, for 12 years until I learned, it took me 12 years to learn to trust in it, to yeah. really, to trust in the spirit world. And then um, I had a message uh, that was in 2004 and it was exactly like almost 12 years from my first near-death experience. And 
I couldn't see the spirit spirits. Yes. And I couldn't, you know, decipher who it was, you know, unless it was a relative that passed away. It would, they would just drop in or they would just give me messages and I couldn't, you know, sort it out because it takes some training to, yeah. to, to sort all that out. But I got this message and they said, you have to become a naturopathic doctor. You have to combine East and West, which is kind of old and new medicine, which is what naturopathic medicine is because we learn pharmaceutical or the traditional Western medicine, but yes. we also learn acupuncture and uh, botanical medicine and homeopathy and things like that. And you have to write two books no, wait, three. And you have to bring messages to the people. And I said, for, uh, write what book? I'm not an author. I don't know what to write about. What messages? What do you mean? When the time is right, we will tell you. And that was it. So they just said, for now, focus on getting, a, you know, becoming a doctor. So I literally was enrolled in my prereqs within two weeks. I got my transcripts, like literally it happened so fast. And I had to start from the beginning because as an undergraduate, I was a business major in computer science. So I didn't have any of the science classes. I didn't have, I didn't even have advanced placement for high school biology. So I had to start with that, with a high school biology class at the community college to, wow. be, yeah, to be able to get to my prereqs. So I take biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, physics, and math. And I was thinking, you know, I can't, you know, this seems so unreasonable. I'm going to do all these prereqs. It's going to take years and there's no guarantee I'm going to get accepted. So then I applied and I got accepted. I applied to two schools and I got accepted at both because there's only five naturopathic medical schools. And, um, and so then I, so then I went, so then I got accepted. I deferred for a year because my daughter um, was sick and had to stay home. But then, so then I go and I'm 54 years old when I start medical school and that's in 2012. Okay. And then I get to medical school and I keep asking the spirit guys, okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. What's, what's next? Like, tell me what to do. What's this book? What's the messages? The only message they would give me for four years straight was just focus on passing your exams, just focus on getting your degree. And he was like, when the time is right, we will tell you. I literally thought I had lost my mind, even though... I had learned to trust the messages, but I was just getting that same message over and over. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to concentrate on this. Mm. As soon as I graduated, I, I took my board. I graduated in June of 2016, took my boards uh, in August. It's like three days of board exams. And, and then um, it takes like a month or two months to get your results because they're national tests and they all have to be given at the exact same time. They have to be corrected and all that. So it's September. So I'm waiting on my results, which I will get first week of October. I run into this woman at um, a seminar I was at and we decided to have dinner and she doesn't know anything about me. I don't know anything about her. And she says, um, I'm a medium. I trained at Arthur Findlay College and your mother is here and she wants to give you a message. Are you open to receiving messages? And I just kind of smirked a little bit, kind of leaned back in my chair. And I said, sure. I thinking there is no way she's going to be able to give me messages from my mother. She doesn't know anything about me. I was raised in a completely different country. She doesn't know anything about my childhood, but, and I, I, I was still doubting that you could actually do this for somebody else. It's one thing to have the spirit world come to me directly, but this is a person that I have never met really before. I don't know anything about her. And she's telling me she's going to give me messages from my mother. 
So I said, sure, sure, bring it on. So she tells me, of course, all these, you know, you grew up and you were fishing and blah, blah, blah. She got everything, you know, all these evidence that it was my mother that obviously could not have been anybody else because my childhood was so different. And she says, you have, your mother says you have to go to Arthur Finley College. And I said, I can't go to Arthur Finley College. I know what it is, but I can't go there. I just graduated. I don't even have my, I don't even know if I have a license yet. And the message was so strong. And she kept saying, no, it's like, remember when you were working for IBM in your youth and you were going through all that management training, it's kind of like that. And you need this mediumship training for what you are to do. So after the third evidential, you know, things that she brought through, I said, okay, fine. I will go to Arthur Finley College and I will figure out a way how to do this because, you know, I just graduated. I don't have an income yet. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how can I afford this and how much is that going to cost? Right. And I got to take time off from work. I mean, I'm doing a residency and maybe they won't give me time off. Sure enough, six months later, I'm at Arthur Finley College. And that first time, I still remember the first the first reading. And I was so excited to be there. And, but I still had a doubt that you could actually bring in a spirit for somebody else. I mean, was it true? I wanted, I wanted proof. You know, it's one thing if the spirit world comes to me. So for two days, we did a lot of psychic development. And on the third day, she says, okay, you guys are ready. Today, we're going to start bringing in the spirit. And I'm thinking, just, I don't know how this is going to go. And, you know, not, not believing in that I even could do it. And, I get paired up with some woman that is from somewhere in Europe because if people come from all over the world, right? Yeah. Australia, Canada, uh, India, United States, all over Europe, Africa, you name it. So you have no idea about this person. You've never met this person before. You don't even know if they're going to understand you speaking English, right? So I'm sitting across from this woman and I still remember this reading. It's so vivid because it's the first, first one, right? I don't remember my second or third at all, but the first one, because it was so amazing to me, right? So I'm sitting there across this, across from this woman and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she looks so young. I bet she doesn't even have a grandmother in the spirit world. Like, how am I supposed to do this? So I start and I say, well, um, I see an old person and she says she is your grandmother and she's wearing this long overcoat and she's in this tiny cafeteria, this kind of an L-shaped counter and she has a brown cane and there's only, it's really small. It's only about 10 tables and she's showing me a cup of coffee. Do you understand this? And she says, yes, right? Because they are only allowed to say yes and no. You're not, yep. they're not allowed to lead you on in any way. So she says, yes. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's my imagination. Okay, what comes next? So then I see this house in the countryside. And I said, there is a big country kitchen with a big wooden table. But when you open the front door, there's chickens and pigs running loose outside. And then there's a fence and there's horses behind the fence in the background. Do you understand this? And I'm thinking, this is my brain. I must be making this up. And she says, yes. And I said, okay. I'll continue. And then I said, she's showing me a cup of coffee again. Do you understand this? And she says, yes. And I said, and then there was this image for three times. I kept getting the same image. And it was an image of a cake, you know, something that looks like it's out of the Disney movie. It has three tiers to it. I don't know what those cakes are called. And it has whipped cream, like white whipped cream around the edges and dotted with red cherries. And it's three tiers to the cake. 
And I'm thinking, I don't want to say it because I'm thinking, this is this is my mind. This, this can't be. I'm imagining this. And then after the third time I see this image, I'm just kind of sitting there silent. I said, well, I have to say it because otherwise I'll never know if it's my brain. I have to learn to separate. Is it coming from my brain or is it coming from the spirit world? And the only way I'm going to find out is if I say it. So yeah. here we go. So I said, she's showing me this cake and this is what it looks like. Do you understand this? And she says, yes. And then that time was up and it turned out that she had grown up in the countryside and her house was next to her grandmother's house in the countryside. And every day in the afternoon, she would go over to her grandma's house and they would have a cup of coffee together. And the cake that she showed me was the cake that her grandma made for her every year for her birthday. Wow. Right. And so, and it's so vivid still in my memory because it was that first reading. And then, you know, we kept having to, to go on and it literally took me two days of doing readings like that until I believed it. Cause I, I, you know, we went to lunch and I said, yeah, I did this great reading, but I think it was just luck. It was just luck. I just guessed it. It must just be coming from my brain. And it literally took me two days of doing readings until I understood it can't be luck because you can't be lucky this many times in a row. And this is really true that the spirit, what you can actually connect with the spirit for somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. And it was just amazing. And it's, it's interesting to me because there was so many years because 1992 was my first near-death experience. And I heard my sister-in-law the day after, right? The second NDE is two years later, 1994. This is 2017. And I am still doubting it, even though I went to medical school based on messages from the spirit. But I had learned to trust the messages from spirit that came directly to me. But I still had doubts whether you could do it for somebody else. And it's just interesting because... When I think of people that are not sure whether is this true, I mean, could you connect with the spirit world and they're having a hard time grasping that or they're afraid of believing that it's true. I get it. I understand it because of everything I went through and I trusted spirit. I still couldn't believe it until I was in that situation myself. So, you know, for all doubters out there that are listening to this, you know, it is true. So I don't know who's more skeptical than, than me. I want to prove for everything, you know, prove it to me. But I think that having a bit of that skepticism, Lottie, is really healthy though, because then it allows you to really begin that relationship of trust of yourself and those abilities and then trusting the spirit. So how do you incorporate your mediumship in with your work in the medical field? Yeah, so this is really interesting how this started um, because um, it was around the time, like uh, you know, a year, I had been out of med school for about a year, 2017, because I graduated 2016. And there were times when I would have a new patient come in and I would I would hear the spirit world tell me the diagnosis of what they had. And they would come in for something else. Oh, you know, I'm just tired. And I would hear like liver cancer, lung cancer. You know? <laughs> oh, what do we do? You know, it's, it sounds like you just have allergies, but you know, you did have cancer when you were young. I know it was 50 years ago, but let's just do it, you know. And, and of course, things would be absolutely correct each time. And so that it started like that. And I would just hear things about the patients, even though they were new patients, I'd never seen them before in my whole life. And then um, as I then started developing at Orthofinda College, you know, many trips back and forth. Um, and I think I did five trips in like two years <laughs> to Orthofinda College because it was 
once I understood that, oh my gosh, this is it. And it wasn't until I was at Arthur Finley College when one of my teachers said, yes, we're bringing messages to the client. And all of a sudden, I understood the message that I had received in 2004. You are to bring messages to the people. You are to bring healing to the people. Mm-hmm. right? And But that didn't occur to me until 2017. So you know, sometimes you think that the spirit world drops in something on you and you think it's going to happen next year. No, it's like 10 years later or five years later, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's much longer than you think. Um, but that um, that uh, feeling of, um, where was I going with this? The, the knowledge of uh, oh, how it be integrated in um, in today. So that's how it started. I would hear messages about my patients. And then I would do all the training at Arthur Finley College and I became an evidential medium and I would, you know, start doing readings for people. But then what happened, so I'm starting to understand, you know, now it's things are finally starting to make sense. Because I'm a physician and now I understand why I had to be a physician is because I know now that I incarnated to be a healer. Mm-hmm. And I've been told that at Arthur Finley College, I've been told that by shamans, I've been, you know, it's in my chart, it's in my numerology, it's everywhere. I'm, you know, it's Master Life Path 11, incarnated to heal people. But that, I, it's always the same thing that comes through. It doesn't matter who does a reading or astrology or numerology with me, it always comes back to that. But it's fascinating because I was doing mediumship readings and that's how it started. And then it, it, it transformed into healing. And I would do, I had like three or four readings in a row where I would see an ancestral pattern repeating itself. So I would say the grandmother had an abusive, you know, the grandfather was abusive and uh, would physically abuse the grandmother and would physically abuse the children. One of those children would be the client's mother. And then I would see the client's mother remarrying somebody that was also abusive. And I said, your father was abusive. He hit your mom and he also hit you. Is that correct? Yes. So I would see, you know, one, two, three generations of the abuse repeating itself. And I had three or four clients in a row. And I said, well, there's something to this. Like who gets three or four clients in a row? I started wondering if I had not disconnected from the spirit the day before, because the reading was so similar. And I was like, okay, no, it's a different person. And, but I'm getting the same. I felt like I was saying the same thing to the client. Mm-hmm. So then I, that led me to actually study ancestral healing under Mark Boleyn, who wrote the book, It Didn't Start With You. And it's actually a form of counseling. So I studied with other physicians and counselors around the world uh, to learn how to break it this down as a counselor or a physician. How do you break this concept down and can see the patterns? So then I, I did that training. And then I started applying that to my mediumship skills. And so now it has become uh, an integration of both. So if I work as an ancestral healer, I always work with the spirit world. So if I'm in, if I work as a medical intuitive or medical medium, it doesn't matter what you say because I work psychically and intuitively, but I also always work with my spirit guides, right? So it is a a medical medium ship intuitive reading all, all together as one because there it's the it's my spirit guides that are telling me if i get a diagnosis i they're the ones that's telling me sometimes when i do a medical intuitive i'll say that my spirit guide tells me that you have this condition I, there's an actual diagnosis have anybody ever told you that no okay do you have these symptoms that go along with this disease but the, the thing with this disease is that it's often missed 
and or it's misdiagnosed because we don't have a good test for it. We don't have good imaging for it. And so these patients tend to slip through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And then once I can confirm that the diagnosis I received from the spirit world and those are the symptoms they have, then I can help them. Then I can say, you know, what, I think this is what you have. And that's why you've been slipping through the cracks. You need to find one of these doctors and I'll Google it, you know, Google's, you know, doctors for their state, you know, depending on where they live, or if they live in a different country, I'll say, find somebody in your country that works with this. So, and to get them the the medical help that they need. So it's fascinating. Um, But then also with ancestral healing, we, um, you know, sometimes you've, Sometimes people don't remember things because they've had a traumatic childhood, yeah. but many times then uh, somebody's in the spirit world for the for the client that's coming in and telling me, okay, I think it's your aunt or your dad or somebody that's telling me this about your childhood, and I see you as a child, and uh, there was a lot of alcohol and drug abuse, and there was never any food in your refrigerator, and you know I see all the bottles lying around or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, do you think that this this is true for your children? And yes, 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 they can confirm it. Yes, that's true. That's that's true. Wow. And then we can dis- then we can entangle where, you know, what's happening with them. What what is it? why is it that they are now in an abusive relationship themselves? Or why is it that they're having this disease or why are they having anxiety or OCD, right? It doesn't matter what it is because it, whatever is unhealed from the previous generations, it is the actions, reactions, and interactions of your ancestors that have not been resolved gets carried down to the next generation. And so it is, um, almost like this energy field that is, 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 it's not at rest. (laughs) It's not in homeostasis, right? And that, that has not been resolved for the previous generation. And so now it's in your bucket for you to resolve. And so um, I actually developed, uh, I work for HemiSync now for the, uh, they used to be part of the Monroe Institute, HemiSync. If you're they have so many amazing things and they put binary beats on top of uh, their music to uh, synchronize your two brain hemispheres. And so I developed um, uh, a journey for them that was released uh, July, 2022, last summer. And it's called Healing Your Ancestral Mother Wound. And for, if you have, I can show how it up on the screen, it looks like this. Um, You go to hemisync.com, hemi-sync.com, and you can look up ancestral healing healing your ancestral mother wound. Um, and that is uh, one of the, the reason I chose that topic is because a lot of people have what's called a mother wound. So even when people say, oh, I had the best parents, my mom, you know, and our family was like, leave it to beaver. And, you know, I have no complaints. And my mom was so wonderful. But then when you start talking, there's, everybody always has a mother wound. I, I don't think there's something I don't think anybody exists without a mother wound of some sort because we incarnate to learn things. We incarnate to have experiences and to learn. And even if you had a great mom, there is still probably going to be things that are sitting under the surface that you haven't realized. Oh, you're the people pleaser. You please everybody. You do all the work. Your husband doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, well, you're you did you pleased your mother as a child because that's how you gained love in return from the mother. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have um 
have a mother wound without knowing it. But then we also have all the traumatic childhoods and narcissistic mothers and mothers that didn't care, mothers that had alcohol, drug abuse and all those things. But um, it doesn't matter what the mother wound is. So that was the first thing I developed uh, for them, which was just released last summer. That's exciting. Lottie, can you tell my listeners what you have coming up um, and where they can get in touch with you, how they can find you? Yeah, so I have two websites. One is drlottie.com, so D-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. And the other one is divinespiritualessence.com. And it's on the divinespiritualessence.com that you can book uh, a session with me as an ancestral healer, medical medium, uh, mediumship reading, psychic readings. Sometimes people come to a crossroad um, and say, you know, what is it? Why did I incarnate? What is my journey? And, you know, I don't know where I'm going next. So uh, I do a lot of those too. And uh, it's wonderful to help people find their true, uh, their true path in life. Uh, so that you can all find on the divine spiritual essence. And also the best way to stay up to date with any classes or, you know, some, I'm working on stuff right now, but I can't announce it yet. So <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so um, that the best way would be to go to divine spiritual essence and scroll down uh, to the bottom of the homepage and then sign up for my newsletter. And that way also you'll get uh, notified about the podcasts. Cause I run a podcast called Dr. Lottie science with soul uh, to help bring uh, healing to the people that are listening. So I interview you know, mediums, uh, shamans, uh, physicians, uh, physicians that do things that are not ordinary. So when you go to your regular primary care physician, they would typically not know uh, what what the, the people are talking about that I bring to my show because it's unusual uh, conditions, but they're probably way more usual than we think because these are the people that get missed all the time. So I bring a lot of it, try to bring information to help people find the, the right doctor so that they can heal as well. I love that. I'm going to include that in the show notes. What's so beautiful about your story is you share about how you literally were on death's bed and through the guidance of the spirit world, you've been able to not only heal yourself, but you're helping many, many people through your offerings, through your teachings, through your speaking, through your podcast, heal themselves. And that's really what this work is all about. It's all about healing on different levels. So thank you for the work that you do because we need more people like you. It has been an absolute pleasure, Dr. Lottie Valentine, to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Connected Spirit. If you did, please leave me a review and a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you do feel called to share this with your friends, thank you so much for tagging me on Instagram at Medium Courtney Dawson. It really helps to get the word out about this podcast so we can help more people just like you. If you're interested in a private reading or attending any one of my mentoring classes, workshops, or events, you can go to mediumcourtneydawson.com or check me out on Instagram at mediumcourtneydawson. Have a great day, guys.